It's Modelo time. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> nice. So we know what Corey's drinking, I suppose. <laughs> I have a Modelo. Nice. Hey, everybody. Hi. Who do we have with us today? We've got Corey, we've got me, Steve, and we have a very special guest today. Yeah, uh, I'm Ross Smith. I do Grid Life for Sunday Cup, and yeah. Do I'm you? Here. Do you now? But do I now? <laughs> oh, that's true. I don't, I don't really anymore, I guess. That's right. You as did. Of t- as of this year. Or actually, two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have been known to in the past. Yeah. So how long? How long did you do Sunday Cup for? Uh, four years. Four years. Been tracking my, my beer can 2008 Honda Fit for five years now. Yeah. Fun times. And okay. let's just mention, how many cars does Ross own? Oh, exactly one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just crossed... Uh, Bought it 167,000 miles back in 2018. Now it's up to, I crossed 267,700 on the original motor transmission. I think it's up to 54 track days now. So, yeah. Yeah. Honda fits everyone. That's driving to and from and at each of those track events. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Still doesn't burn a drop of oil. Like, literally, 5,000 mile oil changes doesn't require any fill up in between. That's crazy to me. Oh my god! I am personally angry at how good Hondas are. <laughs> it's not. It's not fair. It really isn't. I'm pretty sure, like every single car I buy from here on out is just going to be ruined by the Honda Fit. Like everything, yeah. everything reliability wise, is going to be compared to the Fit. And let's just say this is a man who came from owning a Miata, and I am maybe one of the world's biggest defenders of Miatas. But Honda Fits, I gotta tip my cap. They're they're good. Yeah, I was just saying they're... my NH6. It took like. I think it was a quart of oil every like thousand miles. Well, I loved it, but you know, yeah, there are consumables involved sometimes. What are you drinking, Jordan? I am drinking Center of the Universe Two X Pocahoptus, which is the uh, double dry hopped version of Pocahoptus. It's not called Poca Pocahoptus Hoptus. No, this is not the Veil. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's uh, that's the Veil gig. Yeah, I know. Uh, and Steve. I am drinking a Port City Brewing German Pilsner mm. from Alexandria, Virginia. It feels appropriate since Ross is from Northern Virginia. Yeah. So were you, kind of. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, For a time. from, 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 if we go to the way back, to the before times. The before times. <laughs> I've been in <laughs> Richmond know. since 2011. Yeah, so 12 years. I mean, I, I'm a Richmonder. Yeah. I hate going back to Northern Virginia. I don't know how Ross can stand it. Ross, Northern Virginia, how do you stand it? Wait, what do you stand it compared to like other places I've lived or compared to Richmond? Yes. <laughs> yes, okay. All uh, of the above. I don't know. Like Northern Virginia has like the nice thing about it is like pretty much everything is in some form of driving distance within like half an hour, like any major retail chain. So but, like uh, five hundred yards. That's Richmond. Traffic jokes, y'all I got them. Here we go. <laughs> that's that's pretty true. Yeah. But yeah, Richmond still is a special place in my heart for Richmond. At least when I was going to school here for four years, what was it 2013, 2017? Yeah. Yeah. So let's 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 go back then. Um, because it's always good to start at the very beginning with people. Uh how did you get into cars and how many cars slash fun cars have you had? Uh the car slash fun cars. Um so I got into cars arguably since I was like super young. Like I think I, I was talking to you earlier about Need for Speed. Uh my dad got me in the, the special edition of Need for Speed 1, eventually got into Hot Pursuit. Started getting into racing sims around, like, ninth grade or so. Because um, my friend, Richard Cho, he literally left a Gran Turismo 4 strategy guide from IGN on the, uh, 
on his bench in orchestra class. And I was like, <laughs> wait, I was like, wait, why do you need a strategy guide for racing? I'm looking through, I'm seeing like all the different corners, the racing lines. And um, yeah, that eventually led me into getting into Gran Turismo 4 a little more heavily, looking at it more competitively. Got joined Autotech in my high school. Um, and yeah, and was it like 10, six years later, I'm starting to do track stuff. So yeah. Nice. What did you play in orchestra? orchestra? Violin. Nice. Yeah, I played violin for fourth grade, the ninth grade. And then my teacher was very distraught when she's like, wait, what do you mean you're going to work on cars instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or- orchestra teachers be like that. They want to hang on. They want to hang on to everyone they can. Yeah. I switched from orchestra to band. I also started on violin. Maybe I, there's a that maybe I did not know. Yeah, fifth and sixth grade, I did violin, and then I was like, I want to bang on stuff, and I started doing percussion in seventh grade, and it's been downhill since. We got three band geeks in here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's an orchestra three, geek. Three and a know. half. <laughs> <laughs> I did band for uh, middle school, but I oh, just, that's right. I just didn't do it in high school. Yeah. You played clarinet, right? I did play clarinet. Yeah, yeah. That my, story checks out. My, <laughs> I don't, take that to mean whatever yeah, you want. Okay, I just fair clar- clarinet and you <laughs> seems. I, I could have seen you on a bassoon, which is oh, bassoon. Would be it's cool. just a big oboe, which yeah. is kind of a weird clarinet. <laughs> that's a, that's a leap. It's <laughs> clarinet, so it's See, basically it's, a bassoon. <laughs> listen, if you if you go via the oboe, you can get there. I. Uh, okay yeah sure sure double read versus single read but yeah sure why not yeah but that's why i say it's basically the same <laughs> chord. Read. bassoons and clarinets are basically the same by way of the oboe <laughs> listen i've never turned a wrench on any of them but i assume that they're built i really hope you haven't turned a wrench on any of them <laughs> similar <laughs> ways oh uh, that's that's good that's that's very funny so uh, how did playing the violin translate? No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. it, it definitely translated because I remember showing up for orientation for Autotech and he, Scottish Autotech teacher, uh, Mr. Cannon, and we show up and... Shout I think, out, Mr. Cannon. I'm trying to remember. I remember the videos he showed us too during orientation. It was Gymkhana 2. Like, can go <sighs> yeah, he showed us Gymkhana 2, oh. showed us the the full episode of the Reliant Robin and Top Gear. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then, and then just flipping over and looked at it. I'm like, so good. Core memory automotive content right there. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, ever since then, um, yeah, I've been super into working on cars. Thought I was going to go like just start professionally wrenching on them. Decided to go do mechanical engineering at VCU instead. Did, You're a smart uh, man. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, what's it called? Built, Built a Formula SAE car. I led my team there. That was like the first time they ever built a car from the ground up. For those of you who don't know, it's like, a bunch of students just build this chassis. They weld it together and everything. Drop a motorcycle engine in it and send it. And I decided like the driving aspect way better than the building and designing aspect. Um, and so I bought the most reliable car possible that would literally just let me do track day after track day and only occasionally blow a brake line or a fuse or whatever. And yeah, now I'm here. What do you, what do you do for work? Uh, well, now I work at the Navy Yard, but oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I do like a little program management there, but That's um. Cool. Yeah, it's trying to get into design work. It's way more fun than doing program management and stuff. But, you know, if it lets me do track stuff, it lets me do track stuff. So Fair. It's all about that PTO or mm. just TO flexibility. Or, I don't know. I still, but so up until you get three years, you only get like 10 days of PTO. So like there's, that's probably the biggest struggle I've had ever since I started working. I'm like, oh God, how do I budget this PTO to do four events a year, sometimes five? And it involves a lot of half days of work. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it also involves you being one of the craziest people I know because <laughs> in lieu of driving to the track, taking Friday off and driving to the track like a normal person and then getting sleep 
like a normal person, you will get up at 2 a.m. Oh, yeah, for the close so, events. Sometimes for... <laughs> Yeah. And just drive all the way through the night and then just like roll up, swap wheels and brake pads and go set like personal bests in, you know, three laps in. It's nuts. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I don't I don't think your car cools down except for overnight all like the whole time. Like it's ridiculous. It's pretty accurate. I mean, it as I say, like for the longer tracks, like I know mid-Ohio, I usually leave like 10 or 11 p.m. because that's like a seven and a half hour drive. And then I get there at like four in the morning or five in the morning. And that gives me enough time to set up my transponder, set up my GPS timing. Uh, yeah, get wheels and tires swapped um, and unload like 300, three or 400 pounds of spare parts and tools for the back of my car. But your spare kit is like something that I aspire to. Yeah. And, and the probably the most impressive part. And listen, we all know a lot of stuff fits in a honda fit that's right there in the name but the the most impressive part is like the bin setup you have and like how quickly like you roll up and the car is unloaded packed to the brim unloaded in like 10 minutes yeah something uh, definitely more than 15, 10 minutes 15 like it's pretty quick to just like pop everything out and then know where everything is that's the key it, like everything is so organized like you know where everything is at all like your your bolts your bolt bin is beautiful i love it we talked about bolts for a long time on the last episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we really did but I, I i'm here for it steve and i talked about bolts again yesterday <laughs> we did we did i went searching for an m6 countersunk head bolt to replace a bolt that was missing i was uh, swapping out a soft top for a guy on his miata we just got into bolt talk. One of one of the screws for the like handle for the soft top mm. in the middle was missing, and Steve and I looked at each other like, "We probably have that it might screw. be. It's like one of those. Is it? Is that panhead or is yes. panhead the okay? Yeah. yeah, where it's like the countersunk angle, yeah. flat head. And I just thought like maybe, but um, yeah. Then I just lamented how disorganized my nuts and bolts are, and uh, the aspiration that I have to one day organize them which i know in my heart will, will never, never come <laughs> yeah. and just, just for anybody else who's like trying to get in the track stuff or like even if you just do project cars 100 percent. if you have extra bolts left over from like any projects yes. save them in a bin like especially if it's compartmentalized like just a tiny like hand carry thing yeah organize them as you go if we can give any advice to someone yeah, early on start organizing them as you go and then every time you gain an extra bolt just put it where it belongs because i have like an old unused cat litter box that is like <laughs> one and a half inches deep of just bolts. Yep. And they're good bolt. They're good hard. It's good hardware, Brent, but they're just in there. And I do a, I spend a lot of time digging. I was going to say, and that's just the bolts too. Like I, we even come to coming to like spare parts and stuff. It's like when you go start looking into like track spares, literally like anything that you can realistically see yourself like stopping you from getting home like for instance the, the wheel bearing right like if you had to drive your poor fx16 jordan all the way home with a with a, the wheel bearing looking like that or the hub looking like that nah yeah so yeah. so what do you bring roughly uh, as spares let's see so pretty much a full suspension kit aside from the coilover so lower control on the fit in the front at least it's a lower control arm tie rod inner tie rod outer tie rod plus a tool to replace it um the full spare set of fasteners knuckles um, i saw you had knuckles last time yep too. yeah so and obviously so for those of you who are pressing knuckles, right, the, you know, it's a huge pain in the ass to go and do it. It's a huge pain. 
So typically it's a lot easier if you just bring the whole knuckle with a brand new wheel bearing, brand new hub, brand new studs, which I broke two of at NJMP, and it's happened at some point as well. And uh, yeah, just have those ready to go. Super easy bolt in. And you can get the alignment usually close enough, especially if it's only one wheel. You know, you swap the knuckle out, you put it on. It's like, oh, if my steering is off center, I just keep readjusting the uh, either the camber or the, t- the toe until it's straight again, you know? Yep. You saw that sometimes you do that and it magically drives even better afterwards. Yeah, you, you just get lucky like we did on Jordan's car and um, you just crank the camber eccentric to as as max as it will. Yep. And then the car drives great, apparently. So yeah. thumbs up all around. But yeah, that's spares or something. I guess maybe I just allow myself to believe that because my car is a 2016 i just don't need to have as many with me i also don't have nearly the storage capacity to just take like axles and this and that but i should start thinking about like hubs are known to to fail or crack and fail on the nds eventually and especially as i'm considering going up to 245s for track stuff in the future, like more lateral grip, more load on the hubs, like it's feeling potentially more like I feel like to, with your with that, that you direction. could you could just, you know, make that a a semi regular scheduled maintenance. I, it's item. what most of the N D guys do. It is it's like the guys who seriously track like Matt Greenland um do it every year as yep. a matter of course. I think the guys who track less do it every two or something. I'm approaching the end of my second track season and I have been inspecting them and I don't see any hairline cracks or anything yet but i am starting to consider that just it will be a winter off-season maintenance thing that i just swap them all out to be confident right yeah and then on top of that too like two-door cars not just a miata but like you know when you're looking at like 370z's 350z's uh supers that sort of thing like if you have like a purpose-built sports car obviously you could bring fewer parts there's a lot of kind of like risk analysis if you really want to look into it like, well, how likely is it truly that the part's going to break? What can be preventable maintenance? Yeah, I mean, really, I guess what I consider is that even though I drive my car to the track, I am always of the mindset that I may need to just go rent a box truck and a flatbed from U-Haul or something to get home. Like, the, the types of things that might break are more likely to break from a big four-off or something where I go, like, bombing through the grass and it's bumpy and whatever and something just you know a tie rod breaks or cars just undrivable i just assume i'm not going to try to fix that track side and drive it home i'll just go rent a truck and trailer that one time and and take it home and i just kind of hope it doesn't happen and maintain the car yeah and the other thing too like for those are that are wondering about box trucks and their viability obviously it's not viable to do in a longer term like your jordan your forerunner for instance like works out really really well however if you're somebody who lives in an apartment like I do, you know, you have to work in your car park, apartment parking lot. Um, there's not space for multiple cars, right? But it, the idea is that with the box truck, you might have to use it at most once a year, maybe. Like, realistically, it's at most once a year. Um, and then if you need it, it's okay. It's still cheaper than buying a car with the insurance, with the registration. A thousand percent. Right. Yes. Exactly. That's, that's, my, that's my consideration. It's just like if the one time that I might need it, I also have AAA. So like if it's within a reasonable distance, like VIR Summit Point or something, I could lean on that to, to maybe get the car home. So, or, you know, a friend could come and tow my tire trailer home, like that kind of thing. And if I go further away, I just assume that one time I will rent a tow rig and and tow it home but knock on wood haven't had that kind of thing yet 
I've You've tried had some pretty high speed offs. I've I've had some high speed offs and I've tried to, you know, lose bolts out of my caliper and like do all kinds of fun stuff that would stop me from getting home and it hasn't hasn't worked yet. So but yeah, so you you brought up Sunday Cup. Can you talk about Sunday Cup things a little bit? Just kind of go over it yeah. in a broad brush. Yeah. So, um What is it? Yeah, what that's a good question. So the so Sunday Cup is is a time attack series number one time attack being like if you think of conventional motorsport qualifying right formula one and nascar well maybe not nascar nascar is one at a time but like for formula one right you uh you go out you set your best lap time and uh, formula is not even a good example basically your idea is to set the fastest lap time you can over a weekend and that lap time determines your position your track position does not matter and your finishing position is entirely determined by your the single fastest lap time you set that day, usually set in the morning of the second day when you're most experienced, right? So where Sunday, so what Sunday Cup is is that it's a class of time attack. So um, it's run by Grid Life, correct? Yeah, but run by Grid Life. Uh, it's like one of like six classes. We all have to run the same tire. It's it's definitely the most driver focused class because you're doing the least car development. Very popular to choose economy cars, Honda Civics, uh, Honda Fits. Obviously, it used to be a spec fit class. Um, I think it did start out as spec fit originally, correct? Correct. Yeah, first and second gen fits were like definitely in there. GKs were getting banned uh, because out of like on paper, they're too they make too much power. 130 horsepower, no joke. <laughs> yeah, there it's like Jordan. <laughs> the uh, so we, we were all prepped to make the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I beat you to it. So yeah, it they, is your quote. So uh, you deserve it. Yeah, it's only fair. So. Yeah, but now, like, we're finding that a bunch of GKs are still legal, whether it's because of, like, I, I don't know if it's because of the, the carbon deposits on the valves or whatever. Some of them dyno as low as 100. Uh, shout out to Logan Manning. I love your fit anyway. So, the, but yeah, like, uh, Honda Fits, Mazda 2s, uh, any cars that are in SCCA B-Spec are legal, um, if, even if they're built for SCCA B-Spec. Um, but yeah, it's 25 to 1 power to weight ratio. There's a dyno at the track that we use to verify it um and yeah the- Which, and when we say 25 to 1 we mean 25 pounds of weight per horsepower per at the wheel. wheels yeah correct per wheel horsepower and that does include the driver and it inclu- and it should be on on little fuel as possible like if you come out of the if you come off the track uh that's exactly when they're going to impound you like you know it's kind of like gltc it's not as strict as gltc obviously because people are pushing limits there sunday cup the thing that sets sunday cup apart from other classes like scca nasa or a grid life for that matter I feel like there's a very, there's a really strong culture of specifically not cheating. Like pretty much everybody there is there to improve their driver skill. And I think that's kind of what sets it apart from a lot of the other classes where it's, you know, you're there to build the best car. And this one, you choose Sunday Cup if you want to become a better driver. Right. right? And there are some restrictions, right, on like, you can't just do unlimited aero. You can't like, what what else can you do to the car? Or not do. Or not do. Yeah. So, to stay legal. So the only... So we'll start with like the bolt-on. So pretty much everything, so everything in front of the throttle body, right? The intake, totally open. You can do whatever you want to it, aside from adding force induction. Um, you can do whatever you want before the throttle body and chamber intakes, um, resonators, stuff like that. Exhaust are the same way. Do totally open. You don't need to have a catalytic converter, um, but power to the draws, bring your daily driver. So take that into consideration if you have annual inspection or emissions. And a, a good cat nowadays does not rob hardly any power at all. So Right. True. And if you're if you're right on point for 25 to 1, it, it doesn't matter that much anyway. Like you're not trying to squeeze every horsepower because if you go over the limit in a power to weight class, you're, you're you fine. just got to add weight. Like, y- yep. Yeah. So 
that's a thing. And then, yeah, 15 by 8. You can go up to 8-inch wide wheels, um, which is the biggest that you can fit on a fit anyway with 15 by 8 plus 35. That's really popular. Um, Koenig wheels are really good for that. Uh, Falcon RT660 tires or 615K plus if you're a masochist. Um, okay, you can run either, though, because I knew there was a spec tire. I thought it was 660s across the board. Yeah, I actually run both. That's right, you do. Yeah. You do. You mix and match. Yep, yeah. So so for those who don't know, the 660 and Falcon 15-inch tires in general, they only... Uh, they only come in 205 width. So there's a, um, to run stagger, you effectively have to run two different tire compounds. So you can put the 615s in the rear and put the 660s in the front. And more importantly, those 615s, they lasted me two full seasons. Uh, they didn't Holy even cord. I mean, only, only retired them after the second season because I'm like, I'm tired of waiting for these with the cord. So, um, and it also lets me bring two fewer wheels to the track because then that way I don't have to worry about my rears messing up or whatever. But yeah, um, so yeah, bring, so 660, 615 wheels and tires uh, up to eight inch wide um is it all 205s everyone has to run 205s you can run well you can run up to 205 you can like for instance if you're running like 14 inch wheels uh falcon actually makes the 615 and 660 and 195 r14 oh sure yeah so i've i was debating experimenting with that now that i've you know have more time to play with in hpde with my sunday cup car um because technically the low the unsprung weight is about two or three pounds lower if you run like RPF ones and fifteen by seven with a one ninety five tire, is that worth the give from the extra sidewall though? And the lower, the less, like overall grip from the one ninety fives versus the two hundred fives. Yeah, that's a good question. So the so generally speaking, it's it's not confirmed is the big thing, right? So I I don't I haven't seen any tests where people really test specifically for the unsprung weight advantage. However, the general what I found across race classes is that you generally want to minimize the unsprung weight you really want to run like the smallest wheel possible to clear your brakes and then you know you do whatever you need to to fit a tire on it so that's why i'm thinking that like maybe the rpf ones which are like you know maybe nine pounds a wheel or something like that and 15 by 7 or 14 by 7 i mean what if the getting a pair of those for the front and putting the 14 inch 660s on them is actually going to be a good move or not um but yeah, that, it, it's something that no one's played with yet. And, and I kind of want to do it now that I get, you know, going in HPD, you get like 25 minute sessions versus the only the 15 that are worth points in the championship. You know, you only get the 15 in time attack. So, yeah. Um, as far as other stuff you can do on the car, yeah, no arrow. Um, I mean, you're allowed to do like a... You can do a lip, but no splitter. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No splitter, but you can do a lip, which kind of sort of is, could possibly be an air dam, depending on how you rivet it on. Um, side skirts are also open. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's a big thing, too, because right now, drag is, like, the name of the game in Sunday Cup, and it, we saw that particularly this year. They actually, And I don't know if you guys saw, but they actually almost did a uh, they almost did a drag rule where, like, you had to add ballast if your car was too low. Yeah, because uh, there were people trying to run, like, worn-out Miatas, which would have a significant drag advantage over a fit yeah i mean straight away honestly miatas are almost the least of the problems for that like the the bigger thing is when you start getting cars like shoot even like the honda insight right honda insight honda beat crx like all of a sudden those cars have a really tiny frontal area and they have a pretty darn good coefficient of drag at least in the case of the insight the crx doesn't have a great coefficient of drag but it's so tiny and it's like so they they almost did it um they might do it next year i haven't heard a whole lot of rumors about that but ultimately, it's like, I think part of it, too, was that it almost overcomplicated the class, which is something else I really like about it, is that they really, the, the rule book is literally two pages, and they try to keep it to that. So once you start adding in a rule like that, it's like so, from a technical standpoint, it's so much more complicated than the rest of the rule book that I think that's kind of why they dropped it out. There's, 
skeptically speaking. Also, no limited slip diffs, no forced induction, two-wheel drive, I think. Can you have all-wheel drive? You can have all-wheel drive. It's pointless, oh, though. Okay. So you, you can have it. Um, however, the, yeah, no, no forced induction. But, like, yeah, all-wheel drive is kind of... It's kind of weird because, you know, if you start doing that, all of a sudden it's like it changes the handling balance, makes the car less reliable. And more importantly, you don't. Yeah, that too. Um, the, weight, the weight is a reasonably big thing. Is Gridlife's dyno an all wheel drive dyno? It's, no. Oh, that's actually a good point. It's mm. not. Yeah. Like, how would you do that in a power to weight class with Gridlife? Like, they couldn't dyno. They, your oh, oh, oh. They, um, when they can't dyno your car, they put a, uh, not a draggy, but like an aim solo or something in your car, and they measure your acceleration force and compare it to other cars in your oh, class. Oh, actually, yeah, that, that is actually, that is actually what they were doing. That, okay. Yeah, thanks for reminding me about that because that because that's what they did. Even like when when like Frank Schwartz first showed up with his B spec car, um, at Atlanta Motorsports Park last year, they actually just put an aim on it because they weren't the dyno. They were still getting a dyno calibrated. That was the first event they had it last year. Um, and yeah, they put an aim on it. And they looked at the acceleration data, made sure it was like close enough or like theoretically close enough. But yeah. But yeah, like right now, the drag is... is just uh, put a throttle stop under the pedal. That's Yeah, that's one thing you... you can, I was looking at the rules again recently. They haven't changed. They haven't updated for like, you know, next season yet, obviously. But I was looking at the rules just to be like, if I wanted to go to Lime Rock next year and I wanted to run something, do you think I could go into B-Spec, or not B-Spec, uh, Sunday, Sunday Cup yeah. with the Corolla and just be like, listen, I just want to get on track, but not... Like, don't count me in the official results because I don't technically have full compliance with the splitter and the Willwoods now. Right. Yeah, and you can and you can definitely just like kind of DQ yourself in a certain sense, but like, but generally speaking, it's like it 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 probably more interesting to go and on like just do an HPDE with like NASA or SCCA up there, which is what I think I'm gonna do next year. But yeah. Um. But yeah. So. The because I think what what's a, what's not even allowed on your FX sixteen because I, I mean the splitter obviously the splitter but, I would probably need to put the carpet back in, um not not necessarily I mean like I I wouldn't worry about that much so it's basically the splitter in the Willwoods then oh the Willwoods oh shoot yeah I forgot yeah. about it what else is interesting about Ross literally everything the fact that he wins all the time <laughs> there is I, that so I, I only have five what do you mean <laughs> only five I mean yeah it's yeah, what was it? So I've I did sixteen events in the span of my four years doing Sunday Cup. Uh, podium to fourteen, five of them were first place finishes. Good grief, dude! Uh, there's only one that matters, which is one I beat Matt Williams at for the record. I still just I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Matt Williams. Wasn't even on camera plates. I'm gonna take, take that. it. Was that I mean, at Lime Rock last year? It was. Yeah, and my record actually still stands after this year, miraculously. Like, really? Just, yeah, I thought for sure like Jim or Jake were gonna beat it this year, but turns out that the drifters make it really really difficult and also when it rains in the first session defends my record really really well um but yeah like yeah last year did it without camera plays i would anybody looking again the summer sunday cup 100 percent make sure you have camera plays so that way you can get actually like four degrees of camber or something that that's actually what you need to be competitive now Forget yeah it. i actually messaged for us maybe two days ago or something because i saw the the uh, current sunday cup standings for this year and you're sitting in second Right, yes, for the yeah. season points overall, and I was like, Ross, I know you're done running for the year, and I don't know how many events are left, but could you still theoretically podium? And he was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> unless this and this and this happen, I will podium for the year. And you've run five events out of how many in yep. the season? Like, yeah, five, five events out of the 12. There's 12, 12 events that have for points, and yeah. He, and he's still 
racked up enough points to podium for the season. Yeah, that's although, awesome. Although to be fair, Jim Smith, who's currently at first, he's also done the same. He's also only run five events. It's just that for the first half of the season, he won like all of his events, and for the first half of my season, I also virtually won all of them except for the one that Chris Rice stole from me. Darn you! <laughs> and the, by by six hundredths of a second in the rain at walk-ins but yeah the that's the other thing we should say is that sunday cup is some of the most fun time trial style racing to watch because the top like seven are within a tenth or two of a second at almost every event it's awesome yeah it's crazy and you have to get it's so weird because pack i mean i kind of anticipated it like the super high level i didn't think we were going to hit it this quickly but like how reliant you are on good pack driving not and not necessarily from a how good can I follow the car in front of me style. Like if you watch my Lime Rock, my latest Lime Rock lap on my Rossum Sauce YouTube channel, uh, you'll see me following Jim and how close I get to him. And there's a couple points where I lift at turn seven, which I normally don't lift for, and also on the uphill, which is turn four, or sorry, turn five. Um, on those sections, I gave it a tiny lift because I was like, wow, Jim's getting really close to the wall. I don't know how much I trust him to to not oversteer given that neither of us have roll cages and uh yeah you have to get really good at pack driving and not only that you have to form like some pretty good relationships to make sure like you're giving each other equal opportunities to actually get that draft yeah but even with the lifts i'm sure you're still turning close to your best lap lap times Uh, oh yeah you're getting enough of a toe from the draft to make up for that time elsewhere right exactly um and it's that was something i noticed about watching uh mx5 cup at vir is like considering that these cars make roughly the same power that I do, and and granted, all all the drivers in MX5 Cup, even that Lightning McQueen car that was like miles behind everybody, uh, these guys are turning 208s in a car that makes like 180 horsepower, and mine with the tune and stuff should be right there with a stock ND2, and they're going 208s, and my best lap there is like a 229. Like they're they're so far ahead, but the draft is a huge part of it. Obviously, their driving is a huge part of it too. But what tires are they running? They're on they're on slicks, but they're two hundred fives. They're uh, still on uh, seventeen by sevens. I mean, that's still a much crippier compound. Sure, but yeah. Like that, I think that's again. I, it's just like watching them go down Madison Avenue as a pack at VIR. Like their top the speed what's, what's, is what's, like what the heck is Madison Avenue? The back straight. That's what that's called? Yeah, between I've Oak Tree and Rolling I've never heard that before, ever. Madison it's Avenue. called that. Listen to every commentator who commentates I'm on I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I've never heard it. Well, I just always call called. it the back straight. It is the back straight. Sorry, I'll call it that. That's fine. I just wanted to know what you were talking about. It's apparently what it's called. Anyway, their, their top speed coming into Roller Coaster, I think, is like 10 to 15 miles per hour. Even, even Spec Miata, when we were at runoffs last year, watching them in NA. NA's and NB's. They're running. They're running at least like ten miles. They're in the one twenties, I think, by the end of the back straight, like mid one twenties. I'm doing like one fourteen drafting, just exit bump speed? drafting, yeah, exit the... speed and bump drafting. Jesus. Because the guy in the front of the line is getting pushed by the car behind it, which is like fully in the draft A and lot. has no wind resistance. Yeah. Do you overheat doing that? No. You. you can if the straight is like way way too long I mean, but first back straight's pretty long with a with a stock car and and like a fairly large uh opening in the grill no 
Yeah. Okay. Like, I no. think like NASCAR does, but that's because the opening in their grills is like a, yeah, a mailbox. Yeah. Like they have a tiny slot, so they have to break the draft every now and then not to overheat. Right. Yeah. And it's not even remotely an issue for like fits. Like literally I looked down at my, my highest air t- or operating temp, uh, like mid lap when I was like drafting James for like the, or Jim the entire session. And I think my operating temp went up like one or two degrees Celsius, maybe. So it was fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like you said, like if you, if you have like that slot opening where you're really pushing the limit of like how much your engine will cool for the sake of drag. Yeah, that's probably the point where you would see it. But especially with like fits and like NDs when your car's so high, you really you really get the uh, what's it called the air will still make it into your radiator regardless. So that's what I think at least. So. We mentioned or we alluded to the fact that you did Sunday Cup uh, past tense. Um, what's next? What's next for Rossum Sauce? Yeah, instructing is what's up. So, there we go. Yeah, so, so this has been the goal, right, all along. Yeah, literally since day one. Like I thought, so like I said before, like I had like seven years or something of sim racing experience, like you know, doing a tiny bit of i racing and like doing some set of Corsa leagues, R Factor Two. So, well, maybe not R Factor Two. Like there's R Factor Two on the side. Um, but the the biggest thing is like I just got super tired of competing, or so I thought, until I started doing Sunday Cup um but yeah like so i did hpd thinking like oh i'm just gonna get the super reliable car i'm gonna beat the crap out of it and uh and then if i get good enough yeah sure i'll do instructing i'll be fun and then you have richard the guy who planted that that strategy guide on his chair strategically (laughs) ultimately he was like hey yo there's this class in grid life where you can drive drive your fit i'm like yo let's try it and then and then matt williams just ended up being a little bit faster than me every single event and i'm like well i'm not gonna take that (laughs) so so now that i beat matt williams in lime rock last year i'm like all right we'll give it one more season and now i'm yeah instructing has always been what i want to do and you can probably tell that from my instagram almost a little bit with all the guides and stuff i try to put out yeah i admire anybody who looks at instructing as the next step like for some people it's just a means to an end right like it's it's how you get free track time it's how you get free track time and that is well worth it and and makes the hobby feasible for um people like eric madsen um he gets terribly motion sick and like i don't think instructing was ever like a huge passion but it but it facilitated the hobby um the people for whom instructing is like the goal i really admire because it's it, it takes a commitment to put yourself in the passenger seat and i've only really put myself in the passenger seat of people's cars on track that i know personally that i trust their driving that i know their mentality as far as like what they're ready to do um yeah. like what's your approach to that what do you what do you think going into that like you may have people who've literally never been on track and have a little too much confidence and all of that stuff like just take it as it comes well t- number one is that you it's funny that you mentioned trusting my tribe and giving my off track rate given that you rode along with me at summit I, we but, didn't go off when i rode with you yeah no, i was trying really hard to constrain myself there yeah no uh next session you did but oh oh yeah that was fine that wasn't but, your that, fault look, yeah well we, so how much Real quick, you said you had done like fifty some odd track days, forty some odd track days. Yeah, what are we talking about? My brake line blew. Yeah. Okay. When and you've brake... never used steel brake. Okay. Lines? So so okay. So here's the here's the the thought process, right? And I know people aren't going to agree with this because I've already gotten a fair share of flame in my DMs, including from you a little bit, Jordan. A little, just <laughs> a, a little. little like you, you're cool about it. Some people were like, "You're an idiot." So here's the, here's the thought process, right? And number one, I'm going to say up front that I still that I recommend stainless lines now, hundred percent. However. 
the thought process is that stainless lines and the reason why they're not used in OEM, right, is that rubber lines have a lot more give, right? You turn the wheel, they flex okay, they return to position okay, it's fine. When you do stainless lines, the idea is that it's more stress on the fitting, which there's a workaround for now, but there's more stress on the fitting, and more importantly, the stainless steel lines that I had from StopTech, they don't have the swivel fitting that allows the line to rotate freely from the fitting. Mm. So the idea is that the fatigue over time with high steering angle inputs, like if you're daily driving your car and you're going through a parking lot, those high inputs back and forth, they wear out the line a little faster. However, so there's two things that you can do to work around this uh, for anyone who's listening. Because like, oh, you might hear us say, oh, I daily drive my car. I'm going to keep my rubber lines. The reason why I'd recommend doing the stainless lines as soon as possible is that one, when stainless lines fail, and this I, this, I kind of got from survey results just from people messaging me, when those stainless lines begin to go, it's usually like a pinhole leak. Like you'll get, like you'll notice your brake fluid level dropping, but you'll still be able to maintain your brakes as opposed to rubber lines where, you know, you're going down some point main straight 107 miles an hour. Just, just for an example, just random theoretical. Yeah, it involves a lot of cleaning gravel out of your car, by the way. I'm still working on that. Um, the sand trap came in clutch. Um, and so, like, it, it'll be a pinhole leak um, as opposed to blowing your whole line. And actually, I forget what the second point I was going to make was. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, so swivel fittings? Yeah, there's like, there's like some... I could only find it for, like, high-performance cars. Like I'm talking, like, like or cars that have a lot of aftermarket support, but some of them have, like, a free-floating fitting that you can rotate, and it's it's okay. But And I imagine they have their own failure points, but yeah. On the on the hardline end, usually, or on, like, the caliper end? Uh, on the caliper end. Okay. Yeah, cause, yeah so that way, cause, so like you said, you don't get that, like, fatigue wear over time. However, like, I haven't experienced it in a year, um, but I know it's validated a little bit because I know Adam Jabay said that he had also heard the same thing, you know, the co-founder for Grid Life. He said he had heard the same thing, but it's definitely something that's, like, not heavily looked into, especially since, like, you know, stainless lines have been widely accepted to be just an all-around upgrade for years. And so for some people who don't understand the fatigue, stress, and that sort of thing, it's, like, you, it's hard to find a reason that you shouldn't use stainless lines. And even when I bring it up to people, there, there's still very little argument, but yeah. I just another piece of your anecdotal data i daily drove my mr2 on stainless lines for like 10 years and they're still on there and they still don't leak yeah and that's totally fair it's like and I, the, like another I'll- another big thing is like use quality like there's a lot of like e like instagram brands out there making like whatever color whatever pattern lines out there don't don't do that get like nice Goodridge, dot approved stop tech, stop tech a name brand well crimped yeah Line like nicely made, Willwood, whoever. Yeah, yeah. As I say, you don't want your fittings to be the weakest point, and it's very difficult to tell that on inspection how weak they're really going to be. Like those companies like StopTech have been around a long time; they know what they're doing. Yeah, yep. Yeah, quality parts turns out works out well. Who'd have thought? Yeah, and th- and th- and there are parts you, in all fairness, that you could cheap out on, but like, yeah, you definitely need to understand like what kind of risk you might be going at, like especially with like Rock Auto stuff. Like I found like the rubber on like especially if you're manufactured rock auto parts like if you get the economy option those that rubber wears very fast um so like engine mounts dust boots on calipers control um, arms that have the bushings already in them right exactly which would you go through a lot of on fits by the way um and probably like twice a year they start cracking um I'm surprised yeah. you haven't done just like a poly replacement on them. They're virtually impossible. And it's really dis- difficult to describe why on USD MGDs that is that way. But the fit, the bushing is, uh, I'll have to show you afterwards. So because bush- of the design of it? It's like, it's very difficult to push out. I know Fernando okay. Sosa, he was working on uh, doing some poly bushings, but he literally made his own. And he said he 
had like a really painful time doing the front control arm bushing. It was a huge pain. Is it just hard because you can't get like you can't angle the arm on a press to press it out? Or? Yeah, yeah. Because it. <sighs> what, a, so, what about uh, fire? The, the EPA isn't listening, right? No. What about fire? So uh, you can burn it up, but the thing is like. So the, the one of the trickier things is that like the subframe mount is like around the bushing. It's hard to describe. It's mm. it, yeah, okay. yeah. It, yeah. I have to show you a picture afterwards. Do, it, you, do you have one in the car? No, oh no, I don't. Actually, oh. I, I, I almost brought it. That's the worst part. I almost brought a couple, box of my spares <laughs> just to drive down to Richmond and record a podcast. Exactly. Just in case you can't ever be too careful. Well, I'm going out of town. I might as well. Yeah, but yeah, the um, yeah. All right. For the record, that's absolutely something I would do. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I just load up the car with all the stuff. Just throw just, a bin of spares or two yeah, in the car, just to just to go down the road. That's that's yeah, just not, who I am as a person. A ninety-minute drive down to Richmond is much shorter than a seven-hour drive to Mid Ohio, so yeah. it's, it's a little difficult to justify. Yeah, what's is that the furthest uh, hour-wise you've gone? Oh no, that's like Lime that's Rock one of the closer is... ones. Okay, no, 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 I was gonna say for Lime Northern Rock. Virginia, Lime Rock's like seven, right? Yeah, seven hours okay. with the toll road. Yeah, which you should absolutely take. Do you, you go would. to Gingerman or? Yep. Okay. Uh, Front to Road America. Oh, oh right. For, Fourteen-hour drive yeah. Four, of of driving. By the way, that doesn't include the stops. Wisconsin, right? Yeah, and if for any for anyone wondering, no, it's not worth. I mean, like Road America is a really really cool course, but like, man, for I think eleven hours is my personal limit for how far I can drive comfortably. Like things like that's because you try to do it overnight and then get on track. Ross, like well, if you, you took a day off and went the day before, I don't know. Yeah, well, but, I, yeah. I think I would go eleven to fourteen hours and be okay if I had travel days like fully set aside yep. for that. Yep. Yeah. So the the bigger thing too is like. Because you, because like for grid life, right? For time attack to finish in the points, it's your best four events. So like you have to do at least four events in a year. And in order to do that, if you have like a limited, if you only have like for instance ten vacation days, um, you you start taking half days, and you have to take the half days to start driving. So oh, so yeah. they don't total season points? No, it's a uh, it's actually best of four, which is why that works. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see. All I, right, yeah, I, I thought I, it was even more impressive that you were like not running other events and still had a chance to. But th- but that makes sense actually. I really like that, especially in. It doesn't the, force you to spend of all your money. And yeah, time. well, especially in an organization like Gridlife that literally spans the country, that goes from Laguna Seca to you know Lime Rock. To yeah. it, you're not going to have every driver at every event. Like it's so incredibly unlikely. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it makes it way better. It makes it way more palatable. Uh, again, for a grassroots series, um, and especially. Yeah, some events are just so expensive. Like you, you see Laguna Seca prices. No, I didn't. Twelve hundred dollars for registration. <sighs> like for for what? scale, Lime Rock was previously the most expensive. I think that was it was either seven fifty or eight fifty, and most events are closer to four hundred. Well, I don't, I don't know how competition registration prices compared to like HPDE. I don't either. But how much was New Jersey for, time, for New, New take, Jersey? New Jersey was four hundred for two 400? days. Four hundred for for time attack. Yeah. So typically, so HPDE is more expensive. Okay. Wait. What was it really? Yes, yeah, so it was six hundred bucks. Maybe it was maybe it was six hundred for me. Oh Jesus! Uh, the the price did go up a lot. Maybe it was actually closer to six hundred. I wasn't paying attention. It was six hundred last year too. Yeah, for so, HPD. But yeah, the like the price of the tickets does add up. And like, is and to be fair, Laguna Seca is usually like very heavily sound moderated. This is an unlimited sound event. Yeah, so they're probably paying premium for that. Oh yeah. So yeah, that, that's why. But like, yeah, there's certain events like that. Like, if you actually had to go to everyone, it it would actually like kill me. Like, no, <laughs> financially and mentally and physically. But the um, but the other thing too is like, 
funnily enough, the only season event trophy that I have, like finishing third place or higher, was in 2020. And I I finished in third with only two events because Sunday Cup was that tiny. So like there was only like six or seven drivers in a span of the 2020 season for Sunday Cup. This year, there's like 45. Yeah, it's it's gotten a lot bigger. Yeah, and there's still three events to go to. There's going to be a whole host of West Coast people for Streets of Willow and Laguna Seca as well. Uh, are they doing Streets of Willow? Yep. Yeah, Streets of Willow is in there. Laguna Seca, Streets of Willow, and Heartland are the next. Or Heartland is the next event. Then Streets of Willow, and I think Laguna Seca is the final. Heartland's in Kansas, right? Correct. Yeah. Just for a quick point of reference, I'm looking at the uh, NASA Oktoberfest at VIR event is 550 for time trials and 605 for HPDE. Okay. So, yeah, competition is not... Endurance racing and stuff, you get into those, like, you know, 1,500 to two grand. Well, that's for for a a team, too. but... Right, yeah, and that and but twelve hundred just to I know Laguna Seca is an amazing track, but criminy for two lot. days they sold they sold out in like two or three hours. By I'm the way. sure they did. They have, I mean, they've never. I don't know. Nope, I don't, never I don't been say there. Never have they never been to California? Yeah, they, they've been to California for Streets of Willow. Streets, okay. of, Streets okay. of Willow was the only they did it last year, and I think they did it two. Last year was the first time they brought it was when they brought it back. They brought back Streets of Willow, and I think they've gone one other time before, but it was before my time with Grid Life, uh, which started in, like, 2020. Did you ever... Did you go to AMP? I did. Yeah, that's where I crashed. Oh, yeah. oh that's, <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a that was a fun time. The, the a- AMP was super fun, but, yeah, the that was great, driving my car back with no fender, front bumper cover, and headlight. Yeah, Like, uh, like what's-his-name did from New Jersey? Oh, did you talk about Lucas? Yeah. Yes. Well, the whole Lucas, left Lucas side of his car was ra- like crash wrapped. Yeah. Oh wait. Oh wait. Oh no, that wasn't. Was Lu- no, 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 that wasn't I Lucas. So. Lu- no, Lucas was the one who blew his diff. Yeah. I don't think Lucas crashed. No, there was a fit at New Jersey that crashed and like drove. Oh, oh, you're car. talking. Oh, you're talking Jason. Yeah. No, J- dude, Jason's it, insane. Like, pulled the hood and the fender and the bumper off, and yep. then just like drove it home that way. Yeah. No, because he is crazy. There, ha- there had to be oil or something at was it turn four that fast right hander uh, before the hairpin. I think yeah, I four. thought it was uh, in turn five that both cars, the Camaro right there, the, the Camaro wrecked in five, right, right there too. The so, so, so there was a Civic too. There was a Civic Type R that crashed. Yeah, yeah I thought that was also in five. Yeah, so it was the same exact quarter, same yeah. exact scenario. But yeah, it was on the exit of turn four. Like they both ended up touching the dirt, spun around, and then they hit the tire barrier on the outside of five because they just uh, couldn't stop the car. Huh. Um, but yeah, Jason, Jason's crazy. He actually works for an IMSA team. And he was on his way to Indianapolis. He literally does track days for Grid Life on his way to events for IMSA for his team. What uh, a pro, living yeah, the life. literally. And it's even crazier because he, yeah, he crashed, and immediately I ran over. I'm like, okay, I know how to fix this at least. Like we can get you driving again because that's just how fits are. Like the, it's stupid how well put together they are, where you can actually just run them into a tire barrier, be like, oh yeah, I'm going to finish my drive home. But yeah, he he drove to Philadelphia from New Jersey to visit his family, then promptly drove to Indianapolis to go do an IMSA race. And he got he has a whole new set of panels now. His car is now half silver, half orange. It's a really really impressive. Awesome. That's wild. So you've had you've had the brake failure at Summit, uh which we were there for when the line blew out. Yeah, you you've, were there for I was there. Or I was there. Uh you've had the wreck at AMP. Otherwise, like fairly uneventful i mean you've had some offs and stuff but yeah like nothing in five years like that's not bad yeah like those are the only things that there's only there's one other time that i almost wasn't able to drive home which is so i had a fuse blow one time it was the so in the fits there's like one fuse that goes to the alternator it's not the main fuse but there's one fuse that like virtually all the alternator power goes from and it blew at dominion 
And I thought it was a much bigger deal because I try halfway around the track. I'm like, oh, I have zero power. <laughs> so, but switching the fuse over, fix it immediately. But yeah, haven't I haven't had any other close calls with not being able to drive home. I don't think aside from the wreck at AMP and aside from the bra- the brake line explosion. But every single time I've been able to drive home. Pretty awesome. That's wild. Yeah, and it and for anyone who's like also concerned about this, usually. I, something that I misjudged when I first started doing track driving is like how willing a lot of people are to actually tow you home, even if it's like a seven hour drive for them. Like I know a pit race, um, like one of uh, shout out to Stuart Storm who just casually, uh, oh, whose car was it? It was Chris, it was Chris's car, Chris uh, Chris Wolf's car. They drove it from pit race all the way to Columbus, which is like a well, granted it was like a four hour drive from, but you still had to drive all the way back to Maryland after dropping it off. Good God, legend. Yeah, so like some. Like, usually speaking, there's a, even if you don't have the money for a box truck or whatever, like we were talking about earlier on, like a lot of guys are still willing to help you out when they see that you crash and they know that they have a, a little bit of time on their hands, especially if they're retired. Shout out to them. So, yeah. Or they'll lend you the seat out of their forerunner. Yep, yeah. that too. Or, I mean, track people are just the best. Like, everybody is there for the same reason and everybody understands that they, if there's something they can do to help somebody out, like almost everybody is willing. It's really cool. Great community. I have a question. Do you have a favorite track that you've ever been to? Good like one. as as far as the actual like you know track layout, driving at the track, not necessarily. He's a, going to if he comes to Road Atlanta with us. In yeah, yeah. or VIR. I don't. Have, you haven't been to VIR yet. Nope, have haven't been to VIR. It's Crazy. only four hours away from me. I've never driven it. Um, <laughs> been to Road America in Wisconsin. He's never been to VIR. Yep. The. Yeah, for right now, I think Lime Rock is probably the best one, honestly. I, like, This is something I almost asked you before the podcast, and then I was like, save it for the show. Tell me about Lime Rock, because to the outside observer, it looks kind of plain. It's all right turns, except and, for and one. It is. And short, right? Like, lap times are just over a minute or just under a minute if you're really fast. Why is it so fun? So, short tracks in general, I think, are really rewarding because you you get a lot of attempts to perfect it. And I think that's why a lot of people like Fair, actually, more laps per session. Correct. Yeah. I think like psychologically, I know psychologically, that's why I like it. And I feel like that's why a lot of other people really like to have short tracks as well. So for, for scale, like Fitz, yeah, they usually do like my fastest time was 104.8 last year. And this year was like 105.097. Um, the like going back and look at the lap, there's very, I know exactly where the areas where that messed up. And I have a reason why everywhere else, aside from the two points I lifted this year, like I, I don't know where the heck I was supposed to gain or lose time. Um and yeah and, le- and less fair. less rubber on the track from drifters like yeah, that's, that's where <laughs> that's yeah. where you would gain it probably like you're at the limit of the grip that the track was giving to exactly you. yeah those tar- those tire models are slippery man I'm telling you yeah the um yeah turn one especially like what because especially since drifters don't really have like an established line like it's not like they're driving on the same line over and over and over again like racing drivers are. They drive every single. If there's track service, they'll use it. And even if there's a track service, they'll also use that, and they'll bring it back onto the track, um, which is still fine. It's part of the event, but yeah, the the tire marbles, like especially in braking, they they get really slippery if you follow the racing line. Yeah, it, even New Jersey, which did not have drifting or anything this year, like the 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 offline the, grip was very sketchy. It was almost non-existent. The two times I got slightly offline, I wound up four off. Like, yeah. so I know, you know, when you get off the line and, and especially a track like New Jersey, which they're about to repave, like there's a groove where there's the racing line where all the grip is and anywhere else is just yeah sketch. Yeah. Like there's, and it's a little wider than like, so, you know, some people might be thinking like, especially if you're more an novice driver, like that you're thinking 
like that the, the that groove is like the width of your car or like the width of those tires it's like like especially when you watch formula one they're like tracing the line in the dry but like yeah it's a pretty wide groove still yeah, yeah but yeah those tire marbles if you ever want to practice like that's why that's why i realized instructors want to stress driving offline is because yeah you want to get used to that tire marble feel really badly yeah i should probably practice d3 will help with that offline yeah doing like side-by-side drills and stuff well that and just go i i and just I going often, off like pointing people by mid-turn and that kind that's, of thing that's like, what i usually do I, I point more people by mid-turn in de3 than i do on a straight it's easier to just give up the line and a little bit of yeah. speed and let someone shoot es- past you especially at vir where it's like i might shoot through the s is okay but by the end by by the time we get down the hill up to oak tree someone else has close that gap and then i just point them by go way offline and point them by an oak tree yeah. let them have the good line getting out of the turn yeah, true. Do you have uh, this follow-up question? Do you have a dream track that you've not been to? Road Atlanta. Actually, like December, bro. Yeah, I know. Let's go. I know. Us, come with us. The let's I'm, do it. I am running short on vacation days, but I'm really trying to see how badly I can make it work. Because, like, I, like I said, like Rich, we were talking about briefly before, but yeah, like Richard was like he went to the last Grid Life event at Road Atlanta. And every single track is. To him, it's just a comparison to Verdeland. And we're pretty similar in regards to like our driving ability and stuff. I'm like, if he's really that big of a fan of it and is 300 horsepower 370Z, I'm probably going like to the, like the downhill S's just as much. Yeah. Oh, the S's are just like, it's a heavenly part of that track. And uh, something I was kind of alluding to earlier, but the thing, the thing I really like about it is that there's really only the one long straight. And so even in a lower powered car, like, it's a it's a momentum track even for as big as it is like everything but that long straight is about conserving momentum like turn one is so drastically uphill that you camber too it's pretty flat camber but it's really just that the uphill will rob speed and so like the more you start to commit your way into turn one the better and better it gets and then the only place you really slow down there is like turn three because it's real tight and even there you climb that big inside before the s's right no that's four uh three is the real tight little kink to the right right before that and then four is that long left and then like all of that is just momentum all the way through the s's maybe a quick dab of the brakes and six though i tend to over break that's That's another one a hard uphill left where uh Six at Road Atlanta is a lot like two at New Jersey, just in the opposite. It's a left instead of a right. But it's one of those where like the exit is blind. It's up over a hill. But the when you commit and you nail it, it just feels so good. Um, or I'm sorry, that's five. And then six is, uh, you know, down. You get a little breather between five and six. You get a real short one before seven, which is the hard right. And then you get like one long straightaway to kind of do some traffic management and breathe and check the, you know, the gauges and everything. And then just sending yourself down the hill into 10A as tight as 10A and 10B look like getting deeper and deeper into that braking zone. Um, and then just breaking as hard as you can. Like, it's just fun. Yeah. And then 11 and 12, of course, is another like full commitment. You need to be set up under the bridge, but this was something I was also asking Ross a little bit about Lime Rock is like, has that similar drop down a hill into a right-hand turn? Um, Road Atlanta, I find you don't, you need to be set up in the right 
portion of the track as you go over the hill and under the bridge there and before you can actually see the exit but almost every time there's more track waiting out there for you than you think like you almost always tend to go safer than you need to so it doesn't feel that scary the only part that's maybe kind of scary is turn 12 because you're coming down into the compression zone at the bottom of the hill it's pretty flat camber and the walls on both sides of the track just narrow down into about six feet away from the track i i haven't been to either one of these tracks but it looks like the transit at lime rock the transition from the downhill to the flat is fairly severe like that compression zone is looks short and intense compared to road atlanta where it's much longer and smoother of a transition it is it's the the downhill through 11 which is the first half of that it's kind of a a big twin apex turn um well in 11 you don't even get all the way to the inside but you kind of it does the severe downhill first and then 12 it's like leveling out as you're tracing your way through that right-hander so you really don't get back to the flat until like the flag stand at the start finish line at which point like you've already set your line up and committed and and yeah like planted the power and you're all the way down to turn one um yeah road atlanta i could go on and on and it's it's a really good track and i'm so stoked that you're coming and maybe we'll lean on ross if he's got the vacation time when we get there i've historically i have only taken uh a friday off to do that or or even a half day friday yeah i'm taking friday Uh, monday for that one yeah i might take monday monday is a little rough after like i usually even skip the last session or maybe two on sunday and drive back home sunday but it's still you've got an extra two hours to go past us north oh that's true yeah so uh, I don't know, yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. But yeah, Red Atlanta, I really want to do for the reasons you described. It's just funny because you're talking about that last quarter. I'm like, what do you mean? Lime? Like, I think Lime Rock's a little tighter than Road Atlanta's final quarter. And I still take Lime Rock, like to- the final quarter on Lime Rock, totally flat out. And it's pretty comfortable. And You'd probably you, be snoozing, like eating popcorn. You, <laughs> actually, you probably could at Road Atlanta too. It's, I tend to lift to like 75% throttle just through the middle part of the turn until I can see that i am gonna make the inside apex of 12 just fine and then i'll plant the power and let it you know kind of wash me out it's just i don't know my my but my commitment levels in turns like that are we've talked about some at point like i don't commit through turn three or even turn four quite as much as you do um on the topic of commitment like the so one of the other things too because the quarters you keep talking about commitment with they're they're all up i mean aside from turn four summit they're like all up hit handers or uphills so something that's a little unique um about uphills that i didn't really learn until i started doing grid life is how much extra speed you actually need to carry into those corners yeah. because because gravity literally pulls you down it helps scrub like an extra mile an hour half mile an hour yeah yeah i think turn one at road atlanta is probably because it's such it goes back up the hill almost as much or maybe exactly as much as 11 and 12 come down the hill. Like you come down that hill, go down the front straight, and then you take a right and go all the way like 97 feet back up that hill. And if you overbrake turn one, you feel it robbing speed Many as you go up seconds. And, and you also think like, oh, my line is going to take me all the way out to the edge of the track. But it's just scrubbing so much speed that you don't use as much track as you think and you go oh i could have committed honestly in a lot of cases it settles the car more 
yeah. like committing to the throttle early and not giving it extra inputs and it keeps the car feeling more stable and actually like more planted through a, through a corner like that yeah especially like front wheel drive cars like uh, like jordan i imagine your fx16 is similar like if you lift a little too much it's actually almost worse than just giving it like a 20 percent lift yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like the fits the same way. Like for anybody that's trying to drive their fit fast, like there's it's kind of weird because there's either corners, there's corners that you break for, and there's corners that you don't lift more than fifty percent. There's no real in between there. Um, like in actually New Jersey, that corner where everybody was crashing at turn four, uh, the fast right hander, same thing. Oof. Well, that's that's like the biggest, just the the speed difference between what you take turn four and what I take turn four is just like such an eye opener. Like, Even oh me, God. which like I don't know, you you should could probably argue that my ND should be more capable than your fit, maybe. Yeah, like th- theoretically, yeah, because of double wishbone. Yeah, I, I go like fifteen and miles an hour too. slower through that corner. Like I just haven't. That's another one where I just haven't committed to like. There's more track out there than you think. It's not as tight as it looks when you're approaching it. Part of it is blind exits. Yeah. Like corners I can't see the exit to until kind of late. I tend to overbreak and not, you know, just commit to like carrying speed. Right. Yeah. And that, bar- that barrier on the outside is scary too, you know, like that, yeah. that's kind of how it is for every track. Like there's always that one corner that like has a barrier really close to the outside. Yeah. Turn nine at Summit. Yeah. One, turn nine two, at three at dominion yeah turn six at lime rock nine is one that i almost never commit to as much as i could at summit because that wall comes in real close and it narrows under the bridge oh yeah i think this is a lot of the reason why like dominion is like particularly scary to instructors is like because there's so many corners that are high that if you mess up if you put even two wheels off track there's a very high chance you go into the barrier because the the curbs at dominion are very unforgiving exactly yeah like turn one the outside of it is like if you put two wheels off track there's a pretty decent chance you go into you go down a hill uh-huh. into a barrier. Uh, There's tur- a creek down there. Is there really? I'm a- pretty sure. I'm glad I haven't found that out. So <laughs> I think it's on the other it's on side, the other of, side the wall, of the wall, but, but that hill goes down to a creek. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so like, yeah, anybody trying to get into track days and stuff, like definitely do your scouting ahead of time as part of your track reconnaissance when you're looking at videos. The it always look at where the walls are and make sure you add the speed there more gradually than it, than the other courses. It's okay to go off track. It's not okay to do it if you're not going to be able to bring your car home. Yeah. So even though you, even though they can do it, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently you can crash fits into walls and just remove a couple body panels and Fine. drive hours wonder, and hours home. Wouldn't recommend figuring that out for yourself though. Like there's been way too many fit wrecks. No, that's not advice. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but, but yeah, like the, those barriers, they do hurt to hit. Like they, it's, if you're lucky, your airbags won't go off, but yeah. Ross, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Rossum.sauce on Instagram or Rossum.sauce on YouTube. Uh, For yeah. great videos of Honda Fit content being fully sent. Yep, and if you have any questions or whatever, uh, direct message inbox is always open. So I answer questions all the time when I'm on the train. Just shoot them to me and I will answer them in great detail, probably more than you actually need, but that's okay. <laughs> Info dumps are fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, as always, I am at I am understeer. Uh, my project car is at Marta SW20 on Instagram. Jordan, uh, I'm the Daily Downshift on Instagram, YouTube, uh, the Daily Downshift.blogspot.com for more in-depth write-up type things for Corolla build stuff. Um, Beerandbackfire.com has links to pretty much all that stuff uh, for me, Steve, Corey. I think Pierce is on there too. Um, 
but yeah that's all we got good deal. thanks cool. Russ. yeah thanks for being here man this is yeah, great thank you awesome have a good night everybody <laughs>